Hey, be seated. I guess it's kind of a shame to sit down after that. You want to get up and run around a little bit. Our kids can get up and run around a little bit. So our time to dismiss our children to go upstairs. A lot of them have already gone up. But if you haven't already, uh, kindergarten through sixth grade is upstairs. We'll even take a middle schooler if they wants to go. And uh, the youngsters, the three and four year olds are in the back hallway here. If you need help, follow Willem. So he's good. All right. Good morning again. Welcome again to our guests that are here. We appreciate your presence and you being here to worship with us and and celebrate uh, God's gift to us uh, with us. I would appreciate you being here. And um, we are in um, we are in we've been ta- covering this book called The Story. It is a uh, it's a narrative of Scripture from the Old Testament through the New Testament. Basically, just weaving all of the stories uh, from both the Old Testament and into the New Testament to to depict uh, the big story of God and God, why, why He created, the fact that He created, that He created a nation, and that He uh, sent His prophets. And His His overarching goal in all this is to have relationship with His creation. And so, with a couple of breaks this year, we've been covering uh, we've covering the um, the story and so a couple weeks ago Bryce asked me to to fill in this Sunday because he knew he was going going to be out of town and so I foolishly said yes and then last week Ron said well you can either cover continue with the next chapter of the story or if you can just if you want to do just a one-off sermon uh of your choosing, you can do that. And I said, I'll probably do a one-off sermon of my choosing. Um, and so I started thinking about it uh, this past week. I've been thinking it for a couple of weeks since he asked me and had some ideas. But, you know, it's, it's tough during the holiday time. You know, my parents came into town and stayed for five or six days. Our daughter and son-in-law from South Carolina came and stayed for a week. And it's like, when, are, you know, when, do, you, when do you study? At any rate, I have... Uh, I, I have great appreciation for Bryce, but I have even more appreciation for Bryce after deciding, okay, I'll do, I'll do, a, I'll do the story. Because a lot of the stuff that's in this week's, or this, yeah, this, this week's chapter, some of the stuff I was thinking about anyhow that I would present, so it just made sense to do the story. But what, what it didn't really hit me was how much material is in each week. And the work it takes to condense that down to a 30 or 40 minute lesson that really captures the essence of that chapter. It is really a challenge. So uh, I really have grown greatly in my appreciation for Bryce and what he does each week and, and the, just the, the quality of material that we get each week in his lesson. So um, you're not going to get that this week. So. <laughs> um, yeah, well, he, yeah, well, that's true. Um, so our, the title for this week is New Beginnings, and I was thinking about that, the, fat, the new beginnings, and there's a lot of new beginnings in our congregation. We've had, uh, we've had several people move to uh, this area and uh, have visited our congregation. They have new jobs. They have, they've moved from other locations, and they've relocated to our uh, community, and that's that's a, those are big new beginnings, right? When you start a, when you start a new job, when you relo- relocate to a new place, 
Uh, we've had other lots of new beginnings this year. We've had um, we've had babies being born. That's a, that's a great new beginning. Uh, we've even had some kind of I guess what you would think inauspicious new beginnings. When you think of in in a way the beginning to to battle a disease, that's a new beginning, isn't it? I mean, it's a it's a new it's a new chapter in our lives when when we're faced with those types of of challenges and confrontations in our lives, and it it's the start of something new that's that's the start of a new journey. And so, in a lot of ways, uh, all of us face uh, all the time new beginnings in our lives, and those new beginnings are are opportunities for God to do something in our lives. And so we 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 look forward to those. Oftentimes, sometimes there is anxiety. With those new beginnings, sometimes there's fear, sometimes there's uh, uh, excitement and joy with those new beginnings. There's all sorts of a range of emotions there that, that come to us when we have these new beginnings. And so um, we also, we're at the end of the year, right? And as we approach the end of the year, what do we typically start doing? We start reflecting on the year, we start looking forward to a new year, and we start thinking about new goals for our lives, perhaps. Uh, sometimes we call them resolutions. Other times we just we call it, we set new goals and and we want to do something. Uh, we want to make improvements in the new year. Um, I'm not really going to go there so much with that, but um, those things are on our minds this time of year typically. So this is a very appropriate chapter for us this week. Uh, new beginnings. Last week uh, we had a real excitement of a new beginning. It was right here in our uh, assembly. We had a, we had, we had the next slide. Yes, we had this little precious one uh, with us uh, last week for the, for the first time um, with a whole slew of relatives. Uh, we had parents, grandparents, great grandparent. We had aunt, great aunt. Uh, it was, it was a wonderful and joyous occasion. And those types of new beginnings are really exciting for us. And uh, all of us have had those experiences in our life. You know, it struck me as I put, as I was, uh, I talked to Megan about putting a picture of their daughter up here, or two pictures. I wish they were a little bit bigger in quality. I just, I snipped them off of Facebook. But anyhow, um, the, uh, I, I was thinking, I don't know, I don't know if this, uh, ha, you've considered this fact, but, uh, Annaline, is that how they pronounce it, Annaline? Yeah, Annaline. Uh, both parents, uh, both sets of grandparents, and all four sets of great-grandparents have, were at one time, or currently are one-time members of this congregation. And I thought, wow, what a great Sonoma Avenue Church of Christ heritage to have. And I was, it made me think, I wonder if there's anyone else out there with a similar heritage. That has, what's that? Justin was at our wedding. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah right. And so we have this this incredible heritage. Maybe Lorena can do a little little background and see if see if we anybody else. There's any other person out there whose parents, grandparents, and all four sets of great grandparents members of were at one time members of the Snowman Avenue Church. Um, uh, a great uh, a great legacy to have. Um, so. We have, we've been, as I mentioned, we've been going through the story. And uh, this is week 28. Does anybody know how many chapters are in this book? No. 
31. What does that mean about 28? It's close to the end. All right. So um, it's been a great, uh, a great journey, though, when we when we've looked at the story of of God and history in this context of of seeing what God has done, how God has acted, how God has intervened in humanity to try and establish what his heart wants. And that is a relationship with us and the the struggles and the mess ups that his people have um, have done throughout the ages um, as we've gone through the story. Um, what I'm going to try to make this a little bit interactive. Uh, so just curious if anybody, I uh, don't want to put anybody on the spot, but what are some of your takeaways uh, as we've gone through this journey of, of going through the story? What are some of the things that, that, Bryce maybe has emphasized week after week after week that, that stick out to you or that 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 are on your mind as we as we cover the story. Does anybody want to pipe up with anything? Yes, Michelle. How much God loves us. All right. Right. What he's done to to pursue us. Right. And pursue that relationship with us. Yeah. You second that. We got a second on that. Any other any other. How much his love changes everything. Yeah. And that's really. Yes. Aaron. God has a plan. Yeah, and, and it's, 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 it's great each week to see how that plan unfolds. And the, the, the methods he uses to, uh, to fulfill that plan. And there's an interesting, even this morning as we, as we look at how he has a plan, um, how, he, how he uses uh, different methods to accomplish that plan. So we're going to look at that again a little bit this morning. How he's faithful. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Yes. And we'll see that will be play out today as well. Yeah. Did everybody hear that? When somebody decides to follow God, how God uses them to 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 fulfill his his mission. Well, there's lots we could go on and on. Um, we're going to jump into it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God has patience. Does he ever? <laughs> we are. We're such mess ups. And God has patience with us. Praise God for that. Um we're going to pray and then jump into the, the text for this. Before we pray, I just wanted, if, in case everybody wasn't aware of the fact that um, Brian's mom passed away this past week. And so um, while that is um, certainly, you know, those types of passings are, are always uh, heavy on our hearts, for them it's, been, it's, a, it's a big relief because his mom has been suffering for so long. And... Um, She's a child of God, and so now she's reunited with her father and with Jesus. And so that, in that, we rejoice, and we want to make sure we um, come beside them and, and support them as they uh, work through this time. And it's, it's, uh, as much as it is a relief and a joy, it's still a time of grief and loss. So let's, let's pray, and let's jump into our um, text this morning. Father God, thank you. Um, Thank you for your patience. Uh, we are mess-ups, and you love us anyhow, and uh, you pursue us anyhow, uh, and you give us grace and mercy and love, and you uh, pursue us relentlessly, and we're thankful for that, God. 
We're thankful that you demonstrated how much you love us um, in providing your son as the sacrifice for our sins and failures. And that uh, it was, it's, it's done. You did it. And we have that victory now. And we're thankful for that, God. We ask a special uh, blessing on the Bethel family um, as they uh, cope with, uh, with the loss of, of Brian's mother. And we rejoice greatly in the fact that she is your child and that she is home. Uh, bless them. And God bless your word this morning uh, as we share it together, as we consider uh, how you um, demonstrate uh, your love for us through your word and your actions in history. So um, just be with me, God, as I um, bring this lesson this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So our first, uh, the first text we have is, I'm going to back up just a little bit so I can see. Since I'm, since I'm not I'm a rookie at all this, I can... Make sure I stay on track. I can't read that, though. I can see what's up there. Okay, let's read. We're in Acts chapter 1, New Beginnings. Can you guys, can you guys read that? Really? You guys need glasses. All right. How about you read it? I'll read it for you. I got it right here in front of me, and I have my glasses on. So here we go. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, excuse me, I have to. So, what strikes you from that reading? Anything in particular? Here's here's what strikes me. Jesus is talking about going to Jerusalem, waiting for the gift from God, which is the Holy Spirit, and this it's going to be incredible. You're going to give them this power, and what is their response? Is, is that when we're going to restore the kingdom to Israel, Jesus? And as I think about it, I say, Jesus, you knuckleheads. But Jesus doesn't say you knuckleheads. Um, 
it's like they still don't get it. Um, but he's much more Jesus-like than that, being Jesus and all, uh, and doesn't respond the way I would respond and say, you knuckleheads. He simply says, it is not for you to know the time or the dates which the Father has set. It's like, it's kind of like, okay. But it's like, if it, I'm thinking if it was me, it's like, what's, what's this gift you're talking about? What's this, what's this Holy Spirit thing you're talking about? But no, is this when we're going to get the kingdom restored to Israel? The last thing that Jesus says to them before he ascends, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As we move through, we're going to move through several chapters or several parts of several chapters here. Um, what I want you to do is pay attention to a few things. If you're, and if you're in the habit of taking notes, it might be a good time to take out your little, your little note sheet from the bulletin and take some notes. But here's, here's what I want you to pay attention to as we jot down notes for each section. What is God doing in the story through the work of the Holy Spirit? What is God doing in the story through the work of his Holy Spirit? Okay. And what, are the, what is the response? What are the responses in the story from the different groups of characters uh, that are involved? We've got kind of three major groups, right? We have the apostles. We have the religious leaders that are coming into play. And we have the crowds. Um, and so, crowds kind of all other people. So we got the apostles; they're they're committed to following Jesus. We got the religious leaders who are committed to their religious traditions, and then we have all the other people. So pay attention as we go through the story: what God is doing through the work of the Holy Spirit, and what are the responses to this work of these various groups of people? Okay. So we're going to try to we're going to. I don't know if we can move quickly through this or not, but we're going to uh, we're going to try. Okay, so Acts chapter two, verses one through twelve, and just a heads up: we're, some of these uh, blocks of text have missing verses because, uh, in the interest of streamlining the story, uh, either they're 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 not the authors didn't include those verses, or I took them out just to get get uh, get the main point across. So. Um, so I'm not I'm not taking away from scripture. I just want to let you know that it just it's uh, you can go back and read the full context if you want. All right. Acts chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. They were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. 
we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. What is what has God done in this part of the story through the work of his Holy Spirit? What has he done? He's given a sign and he's given different languages. Either, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a miraculous thing. All these people start speaking different languages. It's like, so, it's like, I can say, Sprechen Sie Deutsch, wie heißen Sie, wie geht's? Ich bin in zu folgen, zurück. And, Secret might what might your response be? That's that's sort of German, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. All right, sort of. Or I could say, Bonjour, comment ça va? Je m'appelle Randy. Le tour affaire est magnifique. And uh, let's see, where's where's my where's Daphne? She speaks. She's in Hawaii. Well, if she were here, she would say, Oh, he's speaking French. Or you can say, Buenos dias, como esta? Ustedes, bienvenidos a la iglesia de Sonoma Avenue Church of Christ, etc. And those of you who speak Spanish would say, hey, you speak in Spanish. So anyhow, so God gives them, through the work of the Holy Spirit, God gives these, these different languages. And what's the purpose? What's the purpose? One, it's a sign. But is, what's the, the purpose is that people will, one, like, hey, pay attention, Right? God is speaking, and let's pay attention. And what's the response of what's the response of the of the people? So they were amazed and bewildered. And and what was other what were some of the other responses? You're drying. Okay. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, and there's different reactions from different people. It's rather interesting. What's the response of the apostles? How do they? What are they doing? They're just they're. Sounds like they're, they're running with it, right? They're like, ooh, hey, this is fun. I'm speaking in Arabic, and I don't even know Arabic. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be pretty cool? I didn't know German before I started to say anything. It's like, that was cool. Seeker's <laughs> like, yeah, I can tell you didn't know German. Deutsch is splendid, huh? Acts chapter 2, the next, our next section. So Peter, Peter steps up and he speaks, and he says, starting in verse 15, These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Jumping to Acts 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. 
God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. What is, what is the Holy Spirit doing here through Peter? Think about it. Peter is a fisherman. He's a fisherman. He's uneducated. Yeah, he's been following Jesus for a few years, but he's still an uneducated fisherman. And if you went back and read this entire context of chapter 2, Peter stands up and he delivers this incredible sermon going, going back through history and, and proving the fact with theological soundness that Jesus is the Messiah. And he, with conviction and power, he presents this lesson. And I can tell you, he didn't do it of himself, of his own knowledge, his own education, his own... Uh, winsome spirit. I think uh, it is obvious in this text that God has given Peter power and the ability to articulate the message of the gospel through the Holy Spirit. And what's the response of the people? What's the response of the people? They're amazed. Uh, they're cut, many of them are cut to the heart. And it's interesting to me, that in verse 41, he says, those who accepted his message were baptized. What does that imply? There were those that did not. It'd be interesting to know how big that crowd was. What portion of the crowd was that th the 3,000 that didn't respond? Maybe it was only half. Maybe it was a third. I, it, we're, we don't know. But everyone was filled with awe at the signs and the wonders that were being uh, performed by the apostles. Okay, let's let's jump to Acts chapter three. In Acts chapter three, we have uh, Peter and John encountering a man who was uh, lame from birth. They were they were going up to the temple to pray at the time of prayer, which which uh, scripture says was three p.m. Um, and there was this this man who was lame from birth. Scripture tells us, and every day. Someone would bring him to uh, the gate called Beautiful that led to the temple courts, and he would beg. So he was lame from birth. He's been brought to this place for a long time. And so everybody knew who he was. He was a regular there begging from the people that were coming and going from the temple courts. Starting in verse 4 of, of Acts chapter 3. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? What has God done in this in this? Uh, Instance through the work of his Holy Spirit. He's made this this lame man walk. But what else? What else do you notice about Peter? What do we know about Peter from before? What do we know about from Peter when, when he followed Jesus? He wasn't shy, but he didn't get it. What else? He was like, hey, hey, look at me. I'm Peter. Am I, I'm going to be right there on the right hand of Jesus, right? When, we, when you come in your power, Jesus, I'm going to be... I'm your right-hand man, right? What's Peter now? He's humble. He's a servant. God's Spirit has filled him. Uh, it wasn't just a few days earlier. He was wondering, is this, is this the time for the kingdom, right? Is this it? Is this when we're going to kick Roman tail out of here, right? I, I think that's... And through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus changes everything. And he changes Peter's heart. Peter is like, hey, don't look at us. It's not us. It's God doing it. And so we have a completely different Peter now. Well, Peter and John use this opportunity. There's this big crowd. They're gathered around. It's like, oh, this man's healed. And so Peter goes at it again. And he starts preaching and preaching and preaching. And he's, he's laying it on. This Jesus whom you crucified, he's the Messiah you need to repent, believe in him. And so this crowd gathers, the, the religious leaders uh, take notice, there's a big commotion, it's late in the afternoon, and so they don't like what's going on, so they get Peter and John and they throw them into jail. And so they're in jail. And while they're in jail, what happens? An angel shows up and says, hey, let's get out of here. And he says, keep on preaching. Keep on preaching. Go back there. And keep on preaching. And so they get, they get out of jail. And what do they do? As soon as daylight hits, what are they? They're back in the temple courts and they're preaching. It's great. In the meantime, the religious leaders send their officers to go get Peter and John out of jail. Right? And they show up. It's like, where are they? What's, what's going on? So they go back and they say, they're not there. And so there's a like, where are they? Where do they go? They're trying to figure out what is going on. And in the midst of all this commotion, where are Peter and John? What happened to them? They were in jail. How'd they get out, blah, blah, blah. And so somebody comes up and says, hey, they're back in the temple courts preaching. All right, so they go back. They grab them. They haul them in before the leaders. And picking up in Acts chapter 4, verse 5, the next day the, uh, the rulers, the elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame or being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It's like, where do these guys come from, right? They're unschooled, they're ordinary, they, they haven't been to rabbi school. They shouldn't know this stuff. But they took note, all right, these guys were with Jesus. And so there's probably a lot going on, right? And thinking, okay, he, they're with Jesus, so we got rid of Jesus. What's, what's going to have to happen next, right? We're going to need to get rid of them. Jumping down uh, in chapter 4 to verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of the possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. What is the Holy Spirit doing in the lives of these believers? It's changing their hearts, right? And all of a sudden, their lives are no longer about themselves, but they're about taking care of others. Okay, jumping ahead to chapter 5. We're going to have to, man, this just takes a while to read all these texts and get going. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 5. We have uh, 12 through 20 and 28 through 33. Uh, starting in verse 12, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy." They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell all the people about this new life. Um, So they they go back. I guess this is the part where they where they're surprised. I got ahead of myself. But anyhow, so um, they uh, they go out and they're preaching again. And then down in verse 28, we give you strict orders not to teach in this name. He said, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. 
Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses, witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Interesting. God is at work through his Holy Spirit. He's doing incredible things. He's doing miraculous things. It is evident to all what is going on here. Uh, these ordinary men are speaking with power, with wisdom, with conviction, with knowledge. People are being healed to the point where they're bringing it out just so if Peter walks by, his shadow can fall on them. Wow, that is amazing power that is occurring. And what is the response of these religious leaders? Kill them. They're furious. They're furious. Well, we can go back and, you know, Bryce is already at the table there. What's, what's going on here? They, they're, they're afraid, right? Because this, this commotion, this, you know, is this the uprising that they feared when Jesus was actually alive? And uh, what's really interesting, but when Peter says, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who do what? Who obey him. What's the implication? You're not obeying God. You don't have the Holy Spirit. And they are mad. We're going to jump ahead to Acts chapter 6 and 7 uh, and cover Stephen here. Real quickly, uh, in Acts 6, beginning in verse 8, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. What is the Holy Spirit giving Stephen? He's giving him wisdom, the ability to, to argue and put these arguments down. So they stir up uh, opposition against Stephen. They, acquire, they uh, accuse him falsely of blasphemy, and uh, they bring him before the Sanhedrin. And in verse, picking up in verse, verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? Now, Stephen proceeds to preach chapters 2 through 13 of the story <laughs> to the Sanhedrin. So you imagine how long that takes. How long does it take us to go from 2 to 13? That's what Stephen does. He goes all the way from Abraham up to, up to, uh, to Solomon and the prophets and lays it out on the line. And then he concludes with this lambasting in verse 51. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. 
When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Interesting again, it's more of the same. What is, what is the action of the Holy Spirit in these texts? He's equipping, he's empowering, he's providing wi- wisdom, boldness, the ability to stand before these very powerful religious leaders and proclaim truth in the face of great opposition. Even for Stephen, in this instance, the point of dying for what he's doing. And what's the response of these religious leaders? Wow. Stephen, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, we're going to wind this down. Um, Saul steps up persecution against the Christians, uh, starting in verse 3 of chapter 8. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went to a town in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all played, paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So here's the interesting thing. We, early on we talked about how, how, how God had a plan and he accomplished his plan. Okay? In the very beginning, Jesus is with the apostles in Acts chapter 1. He says, you're going to be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. This guy Saul shows up and starts persecuting the church fiercely. And where do people scatter to? Judea, Samaria, and they start going out. And what do they do when they go out? They start preaching. And they're witnesses to the testimony and the good news of Jesus Christ. And in this case, um, where Philip is, there was great joy in that city. So the people there obviously received the Holy Spirit and the message with great joy. In Acts chapter 9, we're not going to go through it, but Saul, that's a big story. It'll take another whole, whole sermon, but Saul meets Jesus and is converted. In Acts chapter 10... The gospel is preached to who? Gentiles. They receive the Holy Spirit and are baptized in the name of Jesus. What? What? You've got to be kidding. Gentiles? And so that begins a whole new chapter of the story. What is God doing? Once again, as we've seen throughout the story, he's using the opposition against him to fulfill his purpose. And his plan, the opposition in this case being Saul, and yet it fulfills his plan. The results and the response are incredible. All right, final observations and comments. 
because it's time to wrap up. Um, new beginnings are a marker for growth and change. Growth is inevitable. Growth is inevitable. And I think one of our, one of our responsibilities as a church is to recognize and appreciate the growth that we see. So often, religious institutions and groups like to point out what people are doing wrong and how they're not measuring up. And I think we got it backwards. I think we need to recognize what the growth that we see in people. Because we all, I, I, imagine, imagine uh, Megan and Justin bringing Annalene back to, to here to Santa Rosa in a few months. And Annalene has grown and she's got big chubby arms and big chubby, you know, and everybody's going, oh, yeah, yeah, well, it's beautiful. Look how much she's grown. Look at those chubby cheeks. And, and none of us would go, oh, is she still pooping her diapers? Yeah, come she's not walking yet. What's up? She's still spitting up on you? Man, what is the problem with that child? Okay? None of us would think that or say that because we recognize what stage of growth that child is in. And I think one of the things that, that we, as we, as we look at the new beginning that God has started in this church over the last couple of years, um, is to recognize the growth uh, and to see what God is doing. I mentioned to I, I mentioned to Jason a couple weeks ago how much I've seen him grow and I appreciate it. He gets when he stands up and does the welcome and he prays. There's this depth of a spirit in him now that has has grown and I really I really appreciate that. I think we need to recognize that about each other to see either the, the small incremental steps or the big steps as we, as we grow and as God causes growth through the work of His Spirit. And finally, for us as believers and by extension the church community, there is a direct correlation between our response to God and his spirit, which is obedience and the work of that Holy Spirit and the growth and effectiveness of our witness. When Jesus said to those apostles, you are going to receive power from the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be my what? My witnesses. Where does that witness come from? It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. Without obedience, there is no Holy Spirit, and without the Holy Spirit, there is no effective witness in our community. God's Spirit is powerful. He does amazing and wonderful things. In this story... This part of the story we read today, he provides the miraculous ability to speak in languages not learned. He provides the ability for ordinary people to heal others and cast out demons. He provides escape from shackles and secured prison cells. He provides courageous, powerful, and articulate testimony from common, uneducated people. He provides wisdom from ordinary people that confounds the wisdom of elite and educated people. He prompts. He prompts people to generous and sacrificial giving to the betterment of others. And he creates within believers a bond of unity and community. God's Holy Spirit is power. And it is what equips us to have a testimony in our community. 
We see from this text various responses to the work of the Holy Spirit, don't we? Uh, on one hand, we see resistance, uh, ignoring, um, discrediting, all sorts of responses to the work of the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, we see the response of people receiving with joy the gift of the Holy Spirit through obedience. Through obedience, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that is our testimony too. Through obedience to Jesus, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we are given the power of testimony of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified for our sins, resurrected to victory. And that is a powerful powerful testimony as we move forward uh, in some of the new things that God has planned for us let us remember that we're called to obedience we're called to obedience and as we obey the work of the spirit can be effective in our lives in our community as a church let's pray Father God thank you once again, for the gift of your Son. Father, when your Son left this earth, He gave the gift of your Holy Spirit. And Father, the promise that Peter gave on that day of Pentecost, that promise was for us as well, not just that crowd. We are recipients of that promise, God, and we thank you because we are mess-ups and we um, we are impotent without the power of your Spirit in our lives to provide a credible testimony to you and your love and your kingdom. God, fill us with your Spirit. Make us willing recipients and receptacles for that spirit to have um, your will accomplished in our lives. Bless us as a community of believers, God, that we will obediently follow you in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Obedience is required. And so... Um, I just invite you to ask yourselves today, am I obeying? Have I obeyed? Um, and to, uh, you know, just to dig deep and see what God would have you do. We're going to stand and sing. Uh, if you have any needs for uh, our shepherds to, uh, to pray about, please come forward uh, during this time.